0: Christmas Boomers! (laughs) Welcome to a very special festive edition of Sonic the Comic the Podcast. We, as always, are your humans who think we're in charge. I'm Chris McFeely.
1: And rave, rave, rave all night long. I'm Dave Bulmer. (laughs) It's Christmas, Dave! Yay! Yes, it's absolutely Christmas. I'm a big fan of Christmas. What about you? I friggin' love Christmas, Dave. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. I'm a known Christmas fan. I've Christmas already... is like part of your brand. It is. And so uh, yet again, I've started up my December shenanigans that I do where I post all these Santa stories I came up with. That is on wigglehe.com if anyone's interested. I've had the Santa Claus the Movie expanded soundtrack CD playing <laughs> while I while I get my... It's Honestly, it's one of the best film scores ever written and I love it and it's the most Christmassy thing ever put a record and uh, that's what I've been doing, and I'm getting all Christmassy.
0: Uh, I, as ever, I'm I'm, st- I'm always a bit late to my Christmas celebrations. I'm usually trying oh. to sort out something that always slows me down. But the spirit oh, yeah. still fills my heart one way or the other. So we're here for a Christmas special with issue 16 of hey. Sonic the Comic, the very first Christmas issue. Now, cri- Christmas issues were a bit of a thing with British comics. Mm, yeah. Because British comics, when they come out, you know, every... Whenever a comic comes out once a month, that means you get a Christmas issue like once every twelve issues. It's less easy to celebrate, you know, whenever your issue comes out on the first of December or whatever. But mm. with British comics, when they come out once every week or once every fortnight, Christmas issues were special. You know, sometimes they'd even be oversized, double sized. Even this one's just yeah. an ordinary sized one. But I do remember Sonic the Comic would do some double sized Christmas ones in the future. Oh, I'm
1: glad to hear you say that because I thought so. And this, but this is just normal. Yeah, though, mind you, not this issue. It's
0: covered dated December 25th oh yes because Christmas was a Saturday that week oh. I believe I'm not 100% sure but I think what they did was that they released this a day or two early I think because Sonic the poster mag issue too as we'll see in an ad in in this issue came out on the 23rd on Thursday the 23rd okay. so I think they might have released the comics that were supposed to come out on the Saturday on the thursday because obviously nobody was shops weren't open nobody was it wasn't it was it was impossible for it to come out on saturday the 25th of december but none more christmassy than a comic (laughs) with an intended release date of the 25th of december
1: yeah and how christmassy this is just when i slid this issue out of my collection i i was like oh i wonder what the cover's gonna be and of course it hit me like a ton of bricks this is a really really festive image in my memory like this is all tied in with Christmas we've got I mean first off the logo itself is Christmassy you've got the old Christmas pud you know holly berries on the S the hole in the O is turned into a star the dot over the I is turned into a star there's Little stars in a sort of night sky in the background of the triangle thing. Very, very festive. And uh, the
0: cover illustration by Carl Flint, because uh-huh. not to jump ahead, but if you check the control zone, oh. this oh. is the issue where they start crediting the cover artists.
1: Oh, quite right. Not
0: that I would have had any difficulty recognizing this as a Carl Flint cover, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Credit the artist. Quite right. Yeah,
0: this is when it starts. And it is uh, a Christmas tree with baubles in the shape of... Porker Lewis. Yay! Tails and Sonic (laughs) and then Robotnik in a Santa outfit reaching forward to grab the Sonic bubble which is looking quite put out about the whole experience.
1: Yes. Although they are like baubles they're not in any way, di- like they are a li- they are the heads. Oh yeah, they're just their heads. They're they're
0: they're drawn with a bit of shine on them so that they look shiny yeah. like
1: bubbles. But they're 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 just the heads of the
0: characters. They're making facial expressions.
1: Yeah, there's there's no concession to them being the baubles, so they're not yeah. extra round or anything. But
0: maybe the tails one a little bit, I guess. Yeah,
1: I but you could just draw them like that.
0: Lovely illustration of Robotnik from Flint, though. Oh, I always find yeah. Flint's work a bit hit and miss when it came to covers, when it came to the Sonic characters. But this is a lovely looking Robotnik, properly menacing again. Crooked teeth. Yeah. Deep- the black void eyes with the little white pinprick pupils
1: and the only text on the cover is ho 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 and behind all of this by the way behind Robotnik behind the tree with the baubles in it The cover itself, like the base colour of the cover, is a special shiny silver. Yes, a metallic silver ink. And I'm not imagining this, am I? Yeah. No,
0: no, you're quite right. You wouldn't know this if you were just looking Looking at at scans. scans. But yeah, this is one of those uh, fifth colour ink situations where we've got Mm. an actual metallic silver
1: cover. And the only other call out on the cover is that a new teal Teal series series starts inside. God, just something about that silver, though. It really makes me feel like... Not just festive, but primary school festive. You know when you were. (laughs) Yeah. You know when you were little. You're in the infants. You're making a Christmas card for your mum, right? And they give you sheets of gold or silver paper or card. It's that sense of just like, yeah, it's just silver. It's basically a boring color, but it's a bit wrapping papery. It's totally wrapping papery. Sonic the Comics.
0: Christmas issues were never that special really. This <laughs> yeah. is a nice start with the silver cover and everything but um, next year I remember it was kind of like a two part ice cap attack story oh, with, okay. uh, with with oversized issues but the year after that they didn't even have one. Oh. Like well, they, they, like they had an issue that was like hey Merry Christmas yeah. but they didn't have any Christmas stories or anything. Right. It wasn't a specially themed issue the way the was. And was song... that
1: because they were so deep into the like continuity by then that it would have disrupted the story? Oh I
0: guess it must have been yeah they would just have been about to kick off the return of chaotic okay. story around then I'll draw another comparison which is a comparison I make on this podcast sometimes it's like the Transformers comic in the UK which is the comic that I always in my mind from the 80s compare this to be in the 90s version of a real extremely popular high selling comic that informed a generation of kids yeah. But the Transformers Christmas issues were always remembered and celebrated as some of the most fun, silly and fun and sweet uh, issues. Like You know, one where where a kid tries to teach Starscream the meaning of Christmas, (laughs) or one in which Buster Witwicky tries to teach Circuit Breaker the meaning of Christmas, (laughs) or one in which uh, a bunch of Autobot Power Masters learn the meaning of Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) 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 Stories like, you know, they're, they're always quite fondly remembered and they were even collected into like a window special together oh, later on in cool. the comics life you know whereas i challenge most people to even remember half the sonic the comic christmas issues
1: i don't i have this vague sense of an interesting version of father christmas that had like a uh, green witty hat and yeah. it's like
0: the one thing you do remember right <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that, that was months. that's years away from happening yeah anyway, anyway. Well, let's crack it open and see what's happening and christmas wise inside
1: creak let's open that cover and here we have the control zone! CONTROL ZONE!
0: Equally christmas up in red and green with another one of those little hollyberry <laughs> yeah, images. Yeah, they're
1: an unadorned Megadroid, though. They haven't done anything No hat or they? anything, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, how difficult would it be to just put a little clip-art hat on it? Mind you, I suppose it's yeah, no, right? quite close to the bleed edge there. There wouldn't have been much hat to be shown. Yeah, not with this layout, yeah. But this is your online guide to the sensational world of Sega and Sonic the Comic, uh, as are we. This one's hosted by Megadroid, and of course he opens with a Merry Christmas. Boomers, it's here! Well, almost. So, there's another clue, because it was supposed to be exactly here on December the 25th. So in this welcome screen uh, everything here is framed in terms of presents. Of course it is. Everything now the, the normal content you'd be you'd get in a comic is now presents. But of course, we do have the the extra special Christmas present, don't we, of the tales strip starting, which yeah. I think does count as one. It really, you know, marked a bit of a turning point where things are going to go more Sonic in this yeah. Sega comic. Oh yeah, it's very much the first step towards the comics final form that it would take
0: over its many years of life. Yeah, or its ultimate form rather than its final form, I its suppose.
1: Ultimate form, <laughs> you fool! This isn't
0: even its final form.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've already had the bio lizard. Now we've got STC.
0: Ew. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, uh, uh, Megadroid just talking about the games that are going to be big at Christmas: Sonic Spinball, Sonic Chaos, Aladdin, Street Fighter Two, and how he's been left alone in the office because all the humans have gone home already. Uh, he tells us about. Tales is coming, some competitions this issue, which sound rather exciting, I must say. it yeah. those later. He reminds us that Sonic the Poster Mag issue 2 is on sale now. Came out the same Uh, day ah. as this one. That's my theory. (laughs) (laughs) And he closes out by wishing everyone a very happy Christmas and
1: a sega new year.
0: And you notice it's from Megadroid and the STC
1: Humes. Not just from
0: Megadroid like normal in that way. Oh,
1: that's nice. It feels as if they passed a card round before they went home, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: right. Everybody signed it. But there's nothing else in the control zone this week.
1: No, that's it. I do sympathise with how difficult it must be to come up with something to, at the best of times, to put in the leftover space once you've already heroically squoze in a whole left-hand column out of whatever happens to be going on at the moment in the world of SCC. This issue, they just kind of don't bother to fill up the new space. They just ram the font size up to maximum and write golden axe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yes, because this issue is the same as last issue, where the inside back cover, where the next issue solicit usually goes, is the subscription coupon oh, again. Yes. Last issue, it was just a little tease for what was coming next right. issue. But this issue it's literally just the full solicit for yeah. next issue, which I guess we'll um come back to at the end.
1: The Sega charts. charts.
0: Nothing too notable in the Sega charts at Christmas though, um I just see Street Fighter II Championship Edition and F1 zooming in at numbers one and two, respectively.
1: Oh, so they so that so those are explicitly Christmas purchases then. Those are presents must people be. are buying. And Aladdin's gone down. A perfect Christmas present. Now, there's the question, Dave. Oh. It being
0: 1993, yep. the height of Sega Mania, yep. what did you get for Christmas in 1993? Right,
1: I am going to be able to remember this, but you'll have to give me a moment. Let's see. Christmas in 1993. Do you know, I'm in t- I'm drawing a blank. I think we've picked the Christmas I can't immediately remember. I'll have to come back to you on that. I'll have to edit it in if I ever remember. But what about you? What did you get for Christmas in 93? The leading question suggests you no. <laughs> well,
0: I, I was just given pause to wonder when I was reading the list of new games that were coming mm. that were in the charts. And I was like, what did I get? And I remembered I got Rocket Knight Adventures.
1: Oh, wow.
0: That was top crack. Loved that. I remember staying up and eating chocolate and playing it. It was <laughs> a
1: good game. Yeah. You see, I'm still in the pre-Sega days of my life at this stage. i oh, yeah? yeah, purely an Amiga kid at this stage. So if I got any game at all, it was it'll have been something on the Amiga or just toys. Well, that's always a few. we were children after all. We were full-on children. Shall we uh, go on to Sonic? Well, yeah, but now I'm obsessed with what I got for Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. That's the sort of thing I'm very good at remembering. Hang on! Christmas okay. I would have thought that's Christmas that's the thing. I would have expected this from you. I think I might have just had a remote controlled car. I think That might have been my present that year, but that might have been my birthday that year. Uh, let's abandon that whole line of questioning and go <laughs> on <off> to Sonic. <laughs> I'll leave you, you can, you can edit it in. <laughs> Best guess, that's when I got my Yamaha PSR 310 keyboard. Sorry. Happy Christmas, Dr. Robotnik. Written by Mark Miller. Art by Brian Williamson. Letters by Ella Fell. What? <laughs> I'm all over the place right now. I need to settle Your down. Brian
0: is distracted.
1: Do you know why? It's because I was trying to do them all Christmassy. I was trying to go like you yeah. know, Mark. I don't know, Snowman Miller. And then... I know, I know. It, it crossed
0: my yeah. mind. Yeah, Mary, Mark, Miller, and that's uh, what we'll have. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, <good laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog in Happy Christmas Dr Robotnik, written by Mary Mark Miller, art by Brian Winter Wonderland Williamson We workshopped these just a moment ago Let us by Elitor Jingle fell) <laughs> It seems the season of goodwill has convinced Dr. Robotnik to turn over a new leaf when he and his badniks come to the Green Hill Zone to hand out presents and celebrate Christmas with everyone. Sonic is suspicious and his fears are confirmed during the Christmas party when a badnik drunk on a little too much oil, it's a good bit, let slip that the Robotnik they're partying with is actually a robot with a bomb inside. Sonic grabs the robot and speeds to the nearest cliff, hurling it into the ocean just before it explodes and then is back to the party to rave, rave, rave all night long. We both like that line, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe we need to change one of the two now. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> i don't know i feel like we're having fun i feel like we're getting all Christmassy. it's like we've had a bit of brandy but we haven't we should have we should have got a bit tipsy we before we should did have one. yeah
0: we should have had yeah. a real christmas
1: yeah oh yeah do i have to do any driving today or shall i go and get myself a little tipple i, d- I might do it in a minute i think this is the last regular story mark miller wrote oh do you well yeah huh. i remember
0: them rolling out an inventory one of his years from now really? but this is the last regular one he did i think Um, and it's quite blatantly another one that was written without any regard for the idea that Robotnik was the evil
1: overlord of the planet sure sure i mean if this is the last one then that makes so much sense of what the deal was like they went to him and said can you just write us a year's worth of seven page throwaway sonic stories and he went i mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) there you go that runs up till christmas is that enough um or Maybe he was a dedicated staff member in the office every week. Maybe he was always there, you know, playing on the Mega Drive. Who knows? We don't actually know, but... No. we suspect
0: artistically though it's definitely been drawn with all the relevant uh reference material that's been created over the last uh, bunch of issues because we uh-huh. have robotnik in his sort of pseudo adventures yeah. of sonic the hedgehog inspired outfit that richard elson's been drawing him in since issue eight or nine
1: I missed it again
0: we've got the trooper badniks it's very easy to believe that miller just wrote a badnik in his script yeah i i a hundred percent but something about the visual of the trooper badnik with the tin of uh, high octane oil in his hand, <laughs> and the little stars and spirals whoa, 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 <laughs> around his head to indicate he's drunk. Something about that visual is much more charming than it just being a buzz bomber or a motobug
1: or something. I guess, although I do also want to see drawings of drunk motobugs. Yeah. I'm up for that. Maybe that's something I'll get onto. Fan art of a bad Nick Christmas party where everyone's all tipsy. I really enjoyed this story, Chris. It's it's a cute one. Yeah. It's a very
0: traditional British comics Christmas episode. That's exactly what it is. It yeah.
1: it feels so Christmassy. It's it's got without actually being like I don't know, like a full-on you know, it's not yet another adaptation of Christmas Carol, but with Sonic characters or whatever. Oh, yeah. Instead, it's just really, like, fun. And that that's what struck me. Yes, they're having a Christmas party, so there's a kind of Christmas theme to it, but the fun level is up on this one. And it felt like the sort of thing you read while your nan is just dishing up Christmas dinner, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: I like the bit, for instance, towards the end where... Um... They do something that they basically never do in the comic, which was that the, the whole cast turns in a. Dr- yes. in, the, in the grand tradition of like that Doctor Who episode, they wish <laughs> Merry Christmas to all our readers. They turn and look yeah. out of the panel. With a
1: big Christmasy border around it and everything.
0: Yeah. Which, again, very, very common in like a UK comedy comic, like Beano or Bandy yep. or, oh, yeah. yeah. or Buster or Top or whatever, wherever all the characters acknowledged, even in story, that they were characters in comic strips yeah. and would talk to the readers directly. And there's something. About this strip as a whole, that sort of symbolizes how, at least in this first year or so, that Sonic was sort of like half action adventure comic, half jokey, bantery Brit comic.
1: I felt great reading this. It felt so much like, I don't know, this was because this was something you got on kids' TV at the time in Britain as well. Um, where, and I, well, not just in Britain, because of course there were American Christmas special episodes of cartoons where the characters would look out into the camera, but we sort of didn't really get those here as much. I, I never remember seeing things like the All Stars cartoon Christmas special type thing aired here. Oh. Uh, although I understand they, they exist. But you absolutely would for instance you know an episode of Maid Marian would finish and they wouldn't say Merry Christmas to the audience in the episode but they'd be in the broom cupboard at the end saying it Yeah, yeah. And there was always a kind of a crossover of what was going on on kids TV and the presenter sections between and this felt like that to me This it felt so welcoming and it just felt right and I kind of want I want to walk into a comic shop in December and see <laughs> all the superhero covers are christmas and I want to see them all break the fall Fourth wall because it's different it's a completely different world you don't have to suspend disbelief to the same degree around christmas
0: that's it it's the magic of christmas isn't it mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because
0: the comic normally has mega droid to do that sort of fourth wall breaky yeah. little world in between the real world outside the comic and then the fiction of the comic strips themselves and i yeah. i'm genuinely struggling to ever remember another instance where sonic the comic would actively break the fourth wall completely and directly like this again and I don't know if they ever would. I don't Um, think
1: they did. But it doesn't matter because it's Christmas. It's Christmas. (laughs) It's a whole different universe. But that's the thing. Because also you were off school or about to be and so you're anticipating that change of your world as well and it really was just like we're in a different universe for like two weeks at the end of the year and everything is Mm. yes it's perfectly reasonable for everything. Rules didn't apply. That's right and that was good and that was fun. So the artwork here is a yeah
0: this is by brian williamson who we remember drew um the hero the the rather crap hero of the year issue back in issue 14 and he also drew chameleon. oh
1: yeah that's Um, right and again i'll say the same thing i did the with his previous sonic although i'll say it more emphatically this time it's a skip and a hop and it's easy and simple and a lot of people probably would dislike that but I just don't. I mean... This... Well, this I think this
0: issue is definitely better than uh-huh. um, artistically than his first outing on, on Hero of the Year. Right, yeah. He's drawing Sonic a completely different way oh. that's much more on-model, um. much cuter. Yes. Which, again, fits with the whole Christmas
1: vibe yeah. of the thing. And yeah, well, Sonic's cuter, but Robotnik's kind of grosser. I love the... Oh, yeah. The final page, the drawings of Robotnik on the final page is he's kind of the most he's ever looked like a, a genuine horrible aging man do you know what I mean by that yeah he's got gross
0: forehead wrinkles and and his tongue is always sticking out from yeah. between his nasty
1: teeth all the time yeah there's something a bit more realistic about him there and and, and, and also by the way his gingerness and I say this as a ginger myself <laughs> has a disturbing quality to it because, of course, it's... I'll go out on a limb and say, it's the hair colour that most reads as a colour. It's the one where you're concentrating the most on what colour the person's hair is. And so for someone of his age to not have gone even slightly grey yet, there's something slightly (laughs) weird about that, and and I increasingly realise about me. And (laughs) And so there's something disturbing about this kind of... this bald head, which, you know, you don't imagine it's shaved for fashion... And this giant flaming moustache—that contradiction is kind of—it it feels stronger here, maybe because of the felt-tip pen, bright orange that he's used, and the pink, the the, the ruddy pink that he's used for his skin tone yeah. as a very bold
0: colours all throughout generally. Yes, yeah. in this issue, it's
1: situation. bright. It's it's really colourful. Like so, okay. Sonic the comic is going to get some amazing artwork as the comic goes on, but I'm really yeah. starting to love. I actually love the easy-to-draw ones. They're very human. Yeah, these early rough years.
0: Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, because let's, you know, as much as I'm saying it's cute and, and fitting of the Christmas and everything, yeah. it's still a very, very loose line. It does look like it was thrown out very quickly. Yep. To compare this to, like, Kid Chameleon, Kid which Chameleon. is such a considered piece of art. No artwork.
1: comparison at all, yeah. This, so is... this has
0: been banged out very quickly with a big, broad, bold, sketchy lines Yeah. Um, thrown out very quickly with no real view towards... Being consistently on model, or maybe being even you know, yeah. technically like proportionately correct, or anything. So, like by by many standards, it's not like it's great or anything. But there's something about the energy of that's it, it, and the colors, and the general overall style that that's a surprisingly good match for yeah. a a dumb little Christmas story from Mark
1: Miller. Yeah, it the way it's drawn almost frees itself from the burden of, of having to try to be good. <laughs> I know that sounds really rude, but what I I kind of mean it, because like this does not look like it was drawn quickly to meet a deadline. It looks like it was drawn quickly for fun. Yeah, 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 that's not a bad description at all, yeah. It kind of looks like how I used to draw Sonic comics, for fun. And again, as I've said before, this kind of comic gives permission to do that. The i tell you what, it ties in with something you've described earlier on in the podcast, like the series, where STC, it, we liked how it didn't pretend to be quote-unquote real, really happening. It was always presented as a comic made by people, and as a cartoonist kid, I felt included in that group of people. I felt I could draw a Sonic comic, and it would be a Sonic comic rather than an, an amateur imitation. Of course, the Elson and Dobbin issues are always my favourite. Of course, of course. But here we have a comic drawn for fun by someone who's quite obviously a human being <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who, is, who sat down with some pens and drew a nice sonic comic and I, I love it i really think it's nice and then of course it still sounds like i'm damning with faint praise here but uh, there are some really cool artistic ideas here that i w- still wouldn't think of now like how on page what is it for the feast it's basically all a golden colour, which helps it to become background. Mm. Things like this. There's all sorts of interesting colour ideas going on. It's not just bright because he's used very bright pens.
0: Never underappreciate the value of block colouring because, again, not to keep pulling it back to Transformers or anything, mm-hmm. but the colorist who worked on the American Transformers comic back in the 80s was a big fan of block colouring. Maybe too much of a one. Right. But I feel like um, for a long time it made modern Transformers artists and colorists afraid of it. And there was a tendency to sort of colour absolutely everybody and everything in a crowd scene in excessive detail. And it's like, nah, ne- never underestimate the value of a a big solid sort of dark blue crowd and then pick out the characters that matter in color in the front speaking of the feast did you spot the various mark millerisms in this one
1: um perhaps i didn't oh hang on i've just spotted some hair restorer being drunk by a rabbit through a straw
0: you know what i didn't spot that one myself <laughs> that's on. That's <laughs> because
1: we were both concentrating too hard on rave 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 all, all night long, long which is, which is, what, which is sonic, what sonic is yes. singing just above that just as he scratches a record or something
0: no i was just referring to
1: the fact that it's set
0: in the green hill zone rather than the emerald oh hill zone.
1: You, i see sally
0: acorn is once though not named sally mm-hmm. acorn is once again our primary animal friend character yeah and um, also, uh, the feast is made up entirely like of uh, burgers and fizzy pop and stuff, yeah. um, which, we if you remember back in issue five, was what Miller wrote Sonic as eating as a rule.
1: <laughs> that's right, yeah. Abby pointed out to me a bit of a Millerism, which was when the bomb goes off and Sally goes, Oh, I hope Sonic wasn't hurt. And oh rabbit goes, What, you reckon he's a wimp or something? That's a Mark isn't it?
0: Millerism. That's very much so. <laughs> Similarly, for this one, uh, in the midst of the party, they're going, Three cheers for dr robotnik and then the camera swings around to behind him and sonic goes more like three chairs and we see robotnik is so fat i mean how fat is he he's so fat he's sitting on three whole chairs which is a gag that ages poorly but you still kind of crack a smile
1: about it yeah i'm less inclined to laugh at that sort of joke now but back then i did of
0: course you did when you were a kid. It's like, that's just what comedy was. But it, it does age poorly. But it's so... It's it, Again, Mark Miller, what are you going to do? <laughs> but but also, it's a good
1: pun, that's the thing. Puns are the highest form of comedy in British kids' comics. Yeah, and it's... it's Okay, it's got three things, right? Number one, which we're going to write off now. Haha, he's fat. But I did laugh yeah, at it. Yeah, we'll write I, that one. Yeah. I apologise, I did laugh at it. Okay, number two. Three cheers, three chairs. It's a pun, right? Number three... Sonic is saying it like, like way behind him, just going Psst, a reader, and like you know pointing his thumb towards him. So it's another one of the. It's he's not looking out of the the frame, or at least he's got sunglasses on, so maybe no, he's he got is. sunglasses on, so we can't see. Him. But his but, but his head is to the side. So it, but it's nevertheless. There's nobody else he's talking to. He's close to the frame. Mm. Robotnik is far away. It's like a little a reader's little little. Me- yeah,
0: he he might as well be saying more like three chairs. A readers.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that's. Just, yeah, I mean, the "haha he's fat aspect does age poorly, but there's still two more aspects left, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, And we didn't, I mean,
0: then Robotnik actually steals the last page as well, because the, yeah. the Wishing Merry Christmas is actually the sixth page out of the seven, and then the, the last page is like a little epilogue where Robotnik is watching the whole scene over a monitor and cursing his failure <laughs> whenever some badniks come up to... Give him his Christmas present.
1: Yes, I love this page. All
0: the baddos club together. Yeah, the bad-os. And, <laughs> and he, he's so taken aback, he's shocked. No one's ever bought him a Christmas present before, and he opens it, and it's an egg cup chair. Yeah. So that he, a big egg man, <laughs> can sit in a big egg cup chair. But then the, the joke
1: at the end is brilliant. For me? But no one's ever bought me a Christmas present before. An egg cup chair! You're obviously underworked if you have time to go shopping, so you can work double shifts over Christmas. (laughs) He's...
0: Perched in his little chair. It's also good. With his fists all balled up like a giant baby. Massive grin, super happy to have his chair. Little tongue sticking out. (laughs) Little tongue hanging out of his mouth, going, Anyway, I always did prefer Easter.
1: It's all so good. And it's just an egg cup as well. It's not even a chair, it's just an egg cup. No, it's just a big cup. Yeah. (laughs) For him to go in. I love it. Nasty
0: little tiny legs
1: hanging over the edge of it. Yeah. And also, I, I quite like the way. Brian Williamson manages to give Robotnik lots of different facial expressions without ever changing his, like, his his evil mouth. (laughs)
0: Right? Yeah. (laughs) It never stops being twisted in that weird smile.
1: It's fantastic. Um... And then, oh, and, and we mentioned this last time, but as soon as they say Merry Christmas to all our readers, the next thing Sonic says is, have a cool Yule. Yeah, yeah they're really leaning on that. I think. Have-
0: I wonder if that means Mark Miller was the first one who came up with it when he was banging <laughs> out his inventory
1: stories, and then they lifted it and started using it in the editorials. I mean, presumably someone had, someone else had ever said cool Yule before. Presumably <laughs> but you never know. I mean, yeah. who calls Christmas Yule? Ooh, well, people who want to say it's cool, of
0: course. Yeah, I know that's the only, <laughs> I've never heard that used anywhere else. Yeah. Well, maybe the Turtles comic would have pushed yeah. you Yeah, oh cool they must Yule.
1: have done. They must have, I suppose. Right? And also uh, it's one of those moments where they know it's crap so they can't resist putting little quotes around it. Have a, a cool Yule. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it removes us from just a step away like we don't we didn't actually say this you guys <laughs> oh and uh, by the way we haven't
0: done it in a while but boop 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 sonic's eyelids watch yeah blue eyelids this yeah, time
1: with a with a weird with a really
0: cut. awkward looking wink yeah because he's winking yes so he has to have one whole eye closed yeah. in a wink but the way they've done it is that the middle bit of his eyebrow ridge doesn't come all the way down to his, um, to, his to his muzzle. Yeah. So it's just kind of got this hard black line over one half of his
1: it's just Yeah, just basically drawn a line between the yeah. two eyes. As if to imply there's always a line there. It's just that his yeah. eyelids aren't currently current yeah over it
0: yeah mm-hmm. oh they're almost there and i'm still blue though that's the it's really blue, interesting yeah.
1: part of it keep an eye on that well i mean look we're at the point now I feel like that-
0: we haven't been flagging it up i'm sure we must have seen some eyelid action Maybe. between the, and the last time we called it on. but it's
1: all right when there's double closed eyelids we have double closed eyelids on the previous page and it's blue eyelids there but it doesn't stand out as much because mm. you don't have that because no, they're
0: both closed they're both yeah. closed yeah i love that shot of tails just below that panel actually where you know be- flings Robotnik, the Robotnik robot off the cliff and Tails comes up and is like, what are you doing? That wasn't Robotnik, Tails. That was a walking bomb. And Tails is like, are you out of your mind? And then the thing explodes and they're drenched in the tidal wave from the explosion. And Sonic goes, what are you going to learn? I'm never wrong. And Tails has just got this Oh, yeah. Eyelids half closed, like you might as well be looking into the camera, like yeah. Jim on the Office <laughs> expression yeah. on his
1: face. And by the way, this is another good STC explosion. We had a few, and I, mm, I like yeah, this. Yeah, that's one.
0: a nice one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you feel the oomph in that one. Refusal. Yeah, Refusal. Huh? Buggy run for the master system. Donald mm. Duck 2 for the Master System, Toe Jam Earl 2 for the Mega Drive and the Davis World Cup Tour, a tennis game for the Mega Drive. They're all by Vincent Lowe except for the tennis one which is by mm. David Gibbon and um, they're perfectly fine descriptions of the games with no <laughs> material for us to
1: make fun of but i
0: will talk about toe jam and earl too because it was a great game was it i yes i got it for my birthday or rather i should say i went and bought it with my birthday money the following summer
1: oh right i think
0: i'd never played number one and i don't really care to but because they no. described number one here the original met with a mixed reception some loved it others thought in one player mode was just boring and this was, I don't even really know what kind of game it was. It was some kind of top down looking thing where you went over like an overworld map or something. But Dojama uh, and Earl 2 was a horizontal scrolling platformer, and it was great! <laughs> It was so cartoonish and full of like funky, it cartoonish, was. keep on truckin' energy.
1: Yeah, I looked up all four of these games on, on YouTube. The thing I was struck with with ToeJam & 2 is that the design of it and the oh, animation yeah. of it and everything is completely in keeping with what was going on in American cartoons at the time. And that's the sort of cartoons that we really only got to see if we had access to something like a satellite dish. Goodness knows how you'd ever get your hands on one of those boomers. Mm. Incredibly up to date though, in a a very genuinely impressive way. The idea was that you had to find
0: all the humans who had infested the character's home planet, and you had to Mm. trap them, you hurled magic jars at them, and they would (laughs) be sucked (laughs) inside the the jars. Like a
1: Klingon mating ritual.
0: Yeah, and you had to gather the jars and take them to the like the rocket ship at the end of the level, which would shoot them back to Earth. So it was an exploring game where you had to find mm-hmm. all the humans. But then there were like sub-missions where like a supporting cast of friends were scattered around the game who would give you advice or or give you like sub-missions where you go and find something for them. And then there there was the ulterior objective of the game, the Chaos Emerald style objective, where you had to find ooh, maybe eight, ten, twelve hidden objects, hidden through the game and in bonus levels and things so that you could get Lamont, the great Funkopotamus, to come out <laughs> of hiding to get the true ending of the game.
1: Did you ever get him? I
0: believe I did. I don't think I ever got all the objects, but I think he came out if you got like like within two or three of the,
1: the <laughs> full number. Oh, <laughs> well, that's nice of him then.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it was an involved game and I'd like to play it again, but sadly they haven't put it on the Mega
1: Drive Mini. Really? They really should have, yeah. I looked up the other games mm. because... I don't really know any of them. Um, Buggy Run is just one of those games just, where you're... just a driving just, game where you with your minds and your oil slicks and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but one of those ones where there's a little rink and you just press left or right to revolve the car as it goes around. It's one of those. Yep. Um, I did quite like the... there was the little bit of phrasing I liked? Oh yeah, if you prefer a change from course driving, then how about a head-to-head ramming compo? Compo! Compo! There's a sighting of compo in a sentence. Very exciting. See, the thing that jumps out at me with all these Vincent Lowe reviews Uh They
0: are largely just lists of the features of the games, without falling into the old Tony Takushi trap of just listing the contents of the menus.
1: (laughs) There's a bit (laughs) of that. Don't they say that on one of the games? Which one is that's Gibbon? Yes, you're right. It is. Well, we'll get there in a moment. Donald Duck 2 is actually called. Deep Duck Trouble, and we know that just from the screenshots. Because the screenshots are there, yeah. Not sure why they've called it Donald Duck 2, but it's a great-looking game for the Master System. I, If you said it was on a more powerful box than Master System, I'd believe it. It's very colourful, the animation's fantastic. Interesting to me is that this is a Donald Duck game, but the intro explains that we're going to be playing as Donald Duck because Uncle Scrooge is out of action and we have to help him. Mm. So, like, this is a time when DuckTales is so definitive that it means that, like, a game focusing on Donald has to explain itself. So There's
0: the taster of Huey, Dewey, and Louie in the intro as well. Yes. So, yeah, all framed through the DuckTales prism.
1: And also, like the last bit, if you've played the previous titles, you'll appreciate just how good this is. Which sort of implies the previous ones were a bit rubbish.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, then, over in Davis World Cup Tour...
1: I, my eyes just slid over this whole thing and i couldn't take any of it in yeah it's just tennis man it's talking about sports i mean even dave gibbon doesn't seem very
0: interested <laughs> in it because it's like from the main menu you have an array of options you may select training exhibition match tournament davis cup or the world championships oh i'm sorry or the world champion chips you may also oh. choose to play on one of four courts including grass clay hard or indoors training gives you a range of options. Uh, wow, it's yeah. Mm, sorry, it is. Sorry, why does it say champion Dash chips? I, I guess it's a pun because it's a computer game. Because of computer, computer games?
1: chips, I guess. Okay.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wonder does the game say champion
1: chips? Or is that Dave Gibbon attempting to make a pun? I <laughs> see. I wonder this as well, and I did look it up to find out if it was a jokey game, and um, and I still don't know because <laughs> um, so as a game, it has it's just a tennis game. It has some of the game stuff that's like vitally important if I'm to ever enjoy a sports game, you know, graphics and that. But generally speaking, I don't care. But one of the selectable players, and, and you don't name them, is a Frenchman called Marc Lard. Now, (laughs) I couldn't find any sign of a tennis player called Mark Lard on Google, which made me wonder if this was a joke on, you know, Mark and Lard. Mark and Lard. But they only started a month or so ago, so almost certainly not. Weird coincidence. Weird coincidence, isn't it? Uh, He does manage to wring
0: at least one good line out of this review, though, in the Raves and Graves section, where the Raves is incredibly addictive and fun to play, and the Graves section is... You may lose a friend when you win three sets, love. Yeah. I mean, it's a joke. Yeah. I don't know that it's funny, but it's yeah. yeah. Okay, next page. Okay, um- <laughs> next page. <laughs> compo. It's a compo. Yeah. Skyhook get a free Sky TV satellite system.
1: A satellite. Good si- gravy, David. Listen, a, a satellite dish and receiver. Yes, please. Now, look, I've, I've had one now. It was a bit rubbish. You had to watch TV to use it. But back then... <laughs> In
0: 1993?
1: Wow. Good God. I wouldn't have satellite for another 10 years after this. More for me. I didn't have one until about 20, 20, no, 2013 was when I got my first Skydish. And I got rid of it a year later, having never watched it. <laughs> Well, there you go.
0: The page is titled Skyhook, then, because um, in addition to this Sky TV satellite system and receiver, you can then also win hook swag. You can get a hook, that being the Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman film about Peter. Yes,
1: it's a really, I like this. Skyhook is a thing. Skyhook is that I tried to find out what the original meaning of that name is. I don't, I couldn't, because it's the name of lots of different ideas and mechanisms. And here, Sky Satellite, Because, oh, because Americans here, Sky is the name. Like, we would say Sky the way you would say Cable because it was the dominant company and you didn't get it through a cable, you got it through a Sky dish, satellite dish. So Sky, Hook, Sky, Hook, it's, yes, yes, it's
0: great. (laughs) Well, you can win the satellite dish or you can win a Hook game on Mega CD or Game Gear and one of four exclusive Sony ImageSoft t-shirts.
1: Wow, I wonder what that was.
0: And the whole contest is, for some reason, written in uh, Pirate's speak. Avastia
1: well, Swabs. Yeah, no, not the whole thing. <laughs> Give me that oh, no. first paragraph. Give me that paragraph.
0: <laughs> you okay, all right? Do, do it, do
1: it, do it. Avastia Swabs, those
0: scurvy knaves at STC have landed a rich booty from the good ship Sony ImageSoft. Now you can not only play the grand new hook game on Mega CD and Game Gear but you can watch the Spielberg movie on which it's based on Sky Television with your own satellite TV receiver and dish. Arr, Jim, lad!
1: Uh, thank you, Long John Peculiar. Don't call us. Ever. That's right, you could get one of these great treasures, and then they list the prizes, but the thing is... The only thing done to separate those two paragraphs is that the second one is they've just changed the text colour. So it's just an editor talking to himself. There's no character pictured. They're not even, like, aligned differently. They just changed the text colour slightly. The question you have (laughs) to
0: answer is, uh, in Hmm. the Steven Spielberg film, Hook, who plays Captain Hook? And of course, we all
1: know it was Dustin Hoffman. Well, but the thing is, this question feels really targeted personally at me, because even though I, I know full well which actor plays Captain Hook in Hook, I can never remember his name he's one of my actor (laughs) named blind spots it always just slips out of my head the other one used to be dan Aykroyd, but i can get that most times now but this guy i know exactly who he is but i cannot tell you his name most of the time he was captain hook
0: yeah i mean it's funny because um it's not uncommon for contests in kids comics to give you the answer to the question in the preamble for the quiz. The question is just a reading
1: comprehension test where you just have to pull the answer out of the paragraph.
0: But it's not anywhere in the comic. You have to know
1: it. Got to be a Hook fan. So if you know the answer to that and you want to enter, then write your answer on a postcard or sealed-down empty envelope, it says here, and post it to the address on this page by the closing date of Friday, the 28th of January 1994. Loads of time. And the first correct entry pulled from Captain Hook's old exoskeleton will win. (laughs)
0: I feel like you weren't as familiar with this sort of euphemism as I was. I, I absolutely wasn't. The first correct entry pulled from Hook's old sea boot is the is the actual line "Boomers."
1: Yeah. Now that you've told me that, I see it everywhere.
0: I love they uh, they sign off the page then as well with "Enter now, you swabs, or I'll
1: shiver your timbers, and that be painful." Arr. Written there in the voice of a killer whale from Echo the Dolphin. <laughs>
0: That's right. Arr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of echo. Hey. <laughs> Echo the Dolphin, Part 4, written by Woodrow Phoenix, art by Steve White, letters by Tom Frame. Echo returns to his home time, finding himself in the waters of the Arctic, where he's immediately attacked by a giant jellyfish. Echo seeks safety above the water, leaping onto the ice above, but a hungry polar bear is prowling nearby. Caught between the two predators, Echo uses his tail to smash the ice sheet and send the bear tumbling into the water, where it and the jellyfish fight, the bear emerges triumphant, and Echo tosses the animal a fish as thanks before departing for
1: Atlantis. Steve, white Christmas. Uh, Tom, snow on the window frame. <laughs> <laughs> and Woodrow Phoenix, Christmas Eve, though. So. Uh, no. For Woodrow Phoenix. Woodrow Fee <laughs> no. St. Nick. No, hang on. There's, something,
0: there's something in wood. Christmas, yeah, wood, wood, wood um, open fire, fire, wood, wood fire. <laughs> yeah. um, wood row, row, row your boat, wood
1: um, <laughs> gently down the Christmas. Wood. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Moving on.
0: So this is lovely. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, like I mean, I, I think I said last issue that Steve White's first issue with Echo a little bit awkward here and there, but this one is wow. Yeah like this is just
1: gorgeous it's fantastic
0: now if I was being uncharitable <laughs> okay, and I'm not if I was I would say this is very fillery because it is just a five page story where Echo makes a jellyfish and a polar bear fight it's not based in anything from the game aside from the fact that it's set in the Arctic and there's an Arctic level in the game and that's all that it is it's like he'd looked at the story of the game he'd broken it up into two six part serials he knew where he wanted the break between the serials to be, and he just didn't quite have enough material to maybe fill out six full issues, so we get this dropped into the middle. But that's if I was being uncharitable, because in actuality it's friggin' great, it really, really evokes those nature book, nature documentary vibes we've been talking about over the last couple of issues, because it's just a little snapshot of the wild where one of the animals happens to have speech bubbles telling us what's going on. And it even gets more of that animal language stuff. You know, Echo yes. calls the jellyfish a finger, finger fish.
1: fish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or when he comes smashing out of the ice, he's shocked to find that there's ice over the water and he thinks that the water has grown a shell. Stuff like yeah. that.
1: Oh, I love that. It's lovely. I, I think there's a time when I would have been aggravated by that as, a, as yeah. a kid and I would have gone like "Oh, this is Farthing Wood stuff, shut up. But now I love it. it, it. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, the, the Farthing Wood comparison is very apt mm. and yeah, I could see like an impatient kid hungry for action mm. not being into it. But but no, I, I love it. And as, and, and, as, and as I said, Steve White's art has gone next level already after oh, one yeah. chapter. Because this is the first one then actually, barring a couple of panels at the end of last issue, where a lot of the pages take place like in and around water because the last issue Echo was being carried through the sky mostly. Yeah. Um, so we get a lot of lovely underwater effects. Look at this panel here where, um, on page two where uh, we see I from am. below close worry, to the I surface am. as we see the ripples on the surface of the water from beneath. Or this absolutely <laughs> gorgeous one on page four where the bear hits the water and it falls oh, down into like God, the dark yeah. green water and all the shadow and it's top lit so the bear is really only defined by the shadows coming up uh underneath it as it as it sinks into this yeah. this greenish water or even the panel right before that where the ice gives way and the bear goes you know yeah. that's the sort of panel where the sound effects aren't necessary you know what i mean yeah i do know you, what you mean the, yeah the, of the ice cracking and the and the bear roaring and hitting the water are so unnecessary that to be honest, the big cartoonish crack, and yeah. roar sound effects they almost bring it down a bit.
1: Uh huh. I get that. I didn't notice it myself, but I get it. There's
0: really nothing to say much about the story because there isn't much of a one. It's just a wonderful encapsulation, an example of the little touches that we've been zeroing in on on the previous Echo issues.
1: Yeah, I mean the. The moment where it really hit home for me... It should have been on page two, looking at the the like shafts of light refracting through the water from different mm. directions and stuff, like the one where it's overhead and it's all shimmering yep. on him and there's streaks going out everywhere. But it was the third page... The polar bear scene the actual painting work itself like the the brush strokes and how that makes a picture is actually quite simple and accessible without some of the like impossible reality that a lot of painting has that means i can't begin to imagine how painting is done with this one i can see it and i can figure it out
0: yeah it has the illusion of complex
1: realism but if you really get down into it it's
0: actually a fairly minimalist stroke
1: that's it But it's because the actual shapes are what give it its reality. That polar Hmm. bear looks real and heavy. Yeah.
0: The lights and shadows as well. I love the way it's just pure. For the, The areas where light is striking the bear are just pure uncolored white. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he did use white paint, but what I mean is, it's the same white as the surrounding page. Anyway, is all I mean. But there's so much white. But look at the way how the snow is highlighted in blues and pinks. Oh yeah, like, the, yeah. Like Next the to each other, the blue yeah.
1: goes into pink, and it works because of the the sort of sunsetty lighting going yeah. on. It, oh It's so good. And another skill that he has. We, we're just describing the composition of the images here, but a skill that he has above. Huh, I'm tempted to say any other STC artist so far, is implying what happens between panels. So for example, on page three, panel five, just from the way Echo is posed, it makes you able to see the exact way that he's like moving himself across the ice, kind of with a little, you know, sort of flopping his way over there as it were you can see how everything moves around that, that, what you were saying before about the polar bear crashing down into the water is so sequential in a way that the rest, certainly nothing else in this issue is
0: yeah, because like, it, it's basically, it's two-thirds of a page, four-panel sequence, mm. where panel one, Echo smashes his tail down into the ice. Panel two, the ice starts to crack under the bear's feet. Panel three, the ice erupts, and they start their fall. And then panel four, where we actually see the bear sinking into the water. It's... um. It's the sort of thing that a faster-paced, more action-y comic might have done in one or two panels, but this, this languid, nature-y, slow-moving, flow-like water mm. comic that Echo is, is able to, it takes its
1: time to do these things. And it does the job of, of helping to sell the weight of the polar bear, the threat of the mm-hmm. polar bear, and at the same time, of course, the thoughtfulness of, of Echo himself. It's, it's
0: great, this! Oh, it's so good! It's so good. And it's very illustrative of how the change in art style from the first two issues, from Chris Webster on the art to Steve White for the last four, is
1: massively beneficial to the comic. Yeah. One thing I just want to mention that I've just noticed for the first time ever... Is that you can see the pencil work in some? Yeah. yeah, look at the first appearance of the polar bear. You can see a blue pencil sketch outline at the top of his head because that's the only part that's like unpainted. The smoking gun to me is the first panel of the last page where there is a, a faint outline of a higher dome of Echo's head. Oh, you see yeah, that? Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah. So I think those are the. I think he's penciling in blue. And then he's painting over the top of that and and by the way it's not a criticism or i think a mistake that you can see some of these pencil lines it's it's all part of this beautiful painted effect that it doesn't pretend to be something it's not it's painted in a yeah. in a way that says hey check it out paint it's great yeah it's because it's not shooting for hyper realism no. but it's getting very close to it yeah hold it further away and from mm. a certain distance you'd think you're looking at photographs
0: yeah yeah almost yeah. bring it
1: close to and you can see very clearly each stroke of the brush and you can figure out how you know perhaps you could do some of it yourself that's oh, gorgeous mm. NEWS Gosh and golly! (laughs) 3's coming!
0: Sonic 3! Sonic 3, a sneak peek at the big game! Out of bloody nowhere, suddenly we got half a dozen screenshots of Sonic 3!
1: Why no mention of this in the welcome screen? This is enormous news! I know!
0: This is huge!
1: And you know what really absolutely blew my mind, though?
0: What? A lot of information about Sonic 3 is still classified, but we can tell you that it'll be out on the Mega Drive in February 1994, that is two months away and imagine living in a world now (laughs) where a game as huge yes. as headline grabbing the third installment in a massively successful company and console <laughs> headlining trilogy the first you heard of it was two months before it came out yeah. god it was a different time
1: amazing and this is this has got to be I'd say the biggest news we've had in SDC so far right? But next to Sonic CD yeah uh, yeah but that's it I mean that's the only comparison and surely yeah. surely Sonic 3 is bigger news than Sonic CD at least in retrospect uh, yeah yeah And the fact that it's three as well, you know, CD was kind of a sideshow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But they have nothing they can really tell us, you know? They just talk about uh, enormous zones, new worlds, revolutionary bonus stages, talking about the 3D sphere. But... They They put it in quote marks as if they know that they're making a pun.
1: But that's it! They know more than they're letting on, or more than they're allowed to say, because yeah, yeah, where it says, quote mark, revolutionary new bonus stage, of course that is the rotating planet with red and blue balls, but then they say no more about it. So that reference goes unexplained here, it's purely a teaser for those of us looking back in the future to appreciate. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
0: And of course they say they're they're Sonic,
1: Tails, Robotnik, and a mystery new character. But I spotted something. Look at the screenshots. Mm. They're all recognizably from Sonic 3. Yes. But the sprite is the Sonic 2 sprite. That is not the Sonic 3 sprite. Oh, I, I okay there's some telltale signs so um the the big one where they're in the angel island zone facing off whatever those little rhino guys are called um rhino bots i think uh, unimaginatively a very clear delineation between sonic's head and spikes there that's that's a mm-hmm. sonic 2 thing um in the one of the um carnival night zone where he's going up the turny roundy thing it's a shot mm-hmm. of him from the back and he's got the very thin pointy spikes from sonic 2 ah. Okay. These are Sonic 2 sprites. Or they could be Sonic 1 sprites, but I think they're Sonic 2 sprites. So I guess the sprite was like the last thing they developed in Sonic 3. Oh maybe because everything else is right i mean it's
0: just so weird to think how fast games were developed back then yeah but we'll look forward to more news about sonic 3 as we get it
1: editor dave here and uh, sonic fans know full well that just after we recorded this and you know a little bit before we released it a lot of this was proven true because a new prototype of sonic 3 dating from around this time november i think it was uh, was discovered and uh, generally streamed and released to the world, uh, which had all sorts of interesting things. I think it did have the Sonic 2 sprites, and most interestingly, it had the tunes that were like replacement tunes. You know those ones in the Sonic uh, & Sonic Knuckles PC collection that were really weird and nobody likes them, and they were replacements for tunes that, you know, we thought perhaps had to do with Michael Jackson? Well, it turns out that the those tunes, the ones on the Mega Drive, were actually replacements for the ones that we know from the PC version uh weird well worth having a look into if you haven't found out about that already search on youtube you'll find it back to the podcast now
0: the sega euro challenge 93 happened in Mm. vienna austria winners of sega championships from all around europe competed and we met the winners of the uk championship back in issue one
1: and we're once again reunited with our old friend damon hill
0: yeah friend of the show damon
1: hill is back to
0: award the winners their prizes again they played cool spot final fight and Jungle Strike on the Mega Drive and Jaguar. I'm sorry, Dave, you'll have to remind me. XJ220. XJ220. I
1: mean, that's what I said. It could be 220 (laughs) or 220. I don't know what it was officially called.
0: On the Mega CD, yeah. And it was uh, Sweden and Finland who won. But Damon did give a pair of his racing gloves to Natalie Cooler from Belgium for being the first girl to ever reach a European final.
1: Yeah. Good on you, Damon. Oh, look. Look who it is in the photo of Damon. Is that Fezhead? It is. Well, it's definitely a bloke. But is it really uh, yeah, the him? Yeah, it's exactly. The, it's a bloke in a Fez. <laughs> I
0: was, thought I was going to
1: lean in and see Chris Evans there. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? Um,
1: Games get rated. Yeah do you remember that in an earlier a, a very early issue there was a letter coming in saying is it true that mega cd games have ratings on them well we're now hearing that all games starting from may the 1st 1994 all or, or rather it is likely that all computer and video games sold in this country will display a rating just like films and videos all the major software publishers have agreed to introduce a voluntary classification system following concern over the violence content of various games i wonder what we're talking about here i'm in Mortal Kombat? Well, I've just done a quick Google, and as oh. you say, you stressed that it's likely
0: starting from the 1st of May. It looks oh. like it was the 16th of September of the same oh, year okay. when the
1: ESRB came into effect. Oh, Okay. I wonder what the delay was. I don't
0: know. Maybe well, They probably said likely because they were still just hashing things out, but yep. Yeah. That's when they started rating games. And they're as useless today as ratings as they were back then, (laughs) because everybody thinks video games were toys for children and
1: didn't take age ratings under their notice. It's really weird that that still is the case. (laughs) How many GTAs are we in now? A whole new ball game. This is interesting to me, um, and, and it is, and that's not a joke, because it's
0: a- Yeah, I know, it's like it probably wasn't when you read the headline, but then you read the rest of the story, and you're like, oh, okay, well,
1: And this was interesting to me then. Football goes platform in new game. Nearing completion and due for release from Domark in March of 1994 is Marco's Magic Football, a unique blend of football skills and platform game action. Featuring ubiquitous, quote, cute character, Marco... I don't know why that seems just a yeah. little cartoon boy. Um Marco, the game centres around a plot by an evil owner of a toy factory to turn living creatures into mutant sludge monsters with the aid of a terrible new substance. Marco and his football are the only ones that can stop this dastardly villain. The game features excellent cartoon style graphics and animation, looks set to be well worth a look, and it comes out Yeah blah blah blah. Now we know that doesn't this actually get a cartoon strip
0: it does yeah before the end of 1994 in stc i think we'll be seeing it around next christmas
1: yeah but what's interesting about this to me is that marco's magic football i maintained at the time quite grumpily and have just <laughs> like <laughs> yesterday looked up and confirmed was something of a ripoff of a game i already had on the amiga what called soccer kid oh. Yeah, Soccer Kid was a platformer that used the uh, Arabian Nights engine. That was also a platformer on Amiga. And it was made by people who'd done various football games before. They'd, they'd done some Manchester United games. But what they made was this platformer in which you start off by picking the uh, the kit you want him to have. And you can and I assume they were based on real football kits, but it was like every possible combination of colours you could possibly imagine. Uh, yeah, but I still like to sort of design a colour set I enjoyed. And then... Sure. And actually, that's. Yeah, Actually, thinking about it, I suppose that's relatively impressive for a 16-bit game at the time that you yeah, could change yeah. the sprite to change any your, colour scheme yeah. you want. Character customiser, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And then, so then, you are this boy who's got a football. It's a platform game. It's a fairly standard platform game, but you can do various stuff with the football. You can dribble it, you can header it, you can knee it, and you can do all this stuff that you can then use. So you can, you know, hit things far away, collect things with... It. There's various things you can do with this football. Marco's Magic Football is precisely that exact same setup, fairly shamelessly ripped off, um... But because, of course, it was on consoles, I I think it's a little bit better remembered uh, in retrospect. Not that it was a particularly great game to my memory. No? Did you play it? I did play it. I don't remember thinking it was that hot. I tell you what, then. I'm going to have to do a football stream, aren't I? I'll play some Soccer Kid and I'll play some Marco.
0: times. Yeah? What else have we got? Uh, just closing it out in the bar at the side. Two for one. Uh, Seeger doing double value games. Two games in one pack. Nothing particularly worth remarking on there except this particular turn of phrase. Two complete games in one pack for... Almost less than the price of just one.
1: <laughs> it either is or it isn't. <laughs> wow, that's quite a lot to fit on a sign, isn't it? Yeah. Almost two for the price of kind of one, but just a bit more than that. <laughs> Are there any actual gate would I want any of these? Sonic and James Pond Robocard, maybe. There yeah, weren't, weren't there guess. any particularly exciting things in there, were there? I tell you what I wouldn't want though, and that is uh yeah, you see I don't want yes, I would have wanted both Sonic and James Pond two RoboCard, but I don't want them in a funny box where uh, it's like both of the covers are on the front. I want my Sonic box, a real <laughs> Sonic box. Just a Son- mind Just a of Son- Son- Konami cred, it yeah. says in big quote marks as if someone's saying Konami <laughs> cred. Yeah. As if anyone would ever say Konami cred.
0: Double page of ads for um, new Konami games. Sunset Riders, Rocket Knight Adventures, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, oh, yes. Hyperstone Heist. And uh, Tiny Twin Adventures, Buster's Hidden Treasure,
1: and it's just a, a basically a, a double page of just essentially blank white with pictures of the four boxes on. Yeah, with quotes from magazines. It's a bit graphic design is my passion. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit, and they're not, and they are photos of the boxes themselves, not just like the cover art put on the page. And mm. You can tell because the Konami Sunset Riders one is a bit bashed up, a bit crinkled. Look at- yeah look at that top right yeah. corner they've actually ripped the uh the cover there
0: <laughs> i don't know sunset writers though no i've never heard of it yeah it has obviously had a lot of attention paid to every aspect of its production it is superb said megatech magazine 87 percent. obviously the turtles game was great because all turtles games made after the arcade game that tried to emulate
1: its style work <laughs> and it has that beautiful picture of the three turtles leaning against each other smilingly while one of them comes up out of the sewer that i i've always loved that picture yeah. it's Native to my heart that's
0: the cover of the old vhs isn't it how it all oh, began how it all
1: began yeah. you're absolutely right and before that it was um a pop out or cut out stand up on the back of the packs of transfers that we used to uh oh, was that it? we used oh. to use at school yeah. yeah i'm having a look at sunset riders on youtube and it's just a cowboy scrolling shooter basically you're just walking along shooting people fair enough fair enough uh
0: rocket knight adventures was tremendous it's it's the highest ranking oh no so i was gonna say it's the highest ranking thing here with 94 percent from mega action but then i looked over and saw megatech give tiny tune adventures 95 one of the best uh. platformers
1: ever they said yes and they said it by spelling it plat dash formers <laughs> do you know chris i have not played any of these four games and it's time i got my act together
0: i've only played rocket knight adventures i would definitely urge you to do that and hyperstone heist was uh one of the several games that they brought out on consoles as like sequels to or ports of the arcade game that we all knew and loved very well
1: yes although have I also never played that I just i'm know sorry the, what where would i go to find such a thing as an arcade machine the I local d- pub I, I wasn't allowed in that i don't know we had a bowling alley
0: and that's did where you we still have a bowling alley and that's where the arcade machines were and still are i mean not the old ones it's all modern arcades now but, mm, but rubbish oh god a lot of 20 piece pumped into that back in the day
1: so no i've never seen such a thing as the actual turtles arcade game like even i've never even seen it let alone played it this is a rare lapse for you Dave I have to say I know but I was a big fan of what I did have which was the spectrum port of it where it was called turtles the coin op uh, which is every bit as much a nice bit of old lingo as compo is yeah (laughs) and yeah I I played a lot of that so yes I, I do know the game and it's about time I played the real version the desk was split into four Oh. And
0: it was It was actually there were like four joysticks and four sets of buttons in blue, oh orange God. red and purple and you had to go oh. to the joystick for the turtle that you wanted so up to four people could play it at once
1: oh fantastic It was, it was
0: one of the best arcade games ever and not just because I was eight when turtles came out
1: GOLDEN
0: Axe.
1: Plague of Serpents, Part 4, written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Ellie DeVille. Gilius and Yuki defeat Viprax's Rainbow Snakes. That's a nice sentence. Viprax's Rainbow Snakes. But the Serpent Wizard transforms his hands into snakes, oh no, and knocks the two of them out with poison strikes. The pair are loaded onto a cart and wheeled back to Cabrax's stronghold, but as they're passing over a chasm, Gilius slips off the cart and into the abyss. Though Viprax believes him dead, Gilius prevents himself from falling by lodging the golden axe into the side of the bridge, and proceeds to follow Viprax back to Cabraxis' base, arriving just in time to see the serpent priest threatening to kill Yuki in order to convince the dwarves' queen to reveal the location of their enchanted metal.
0: This is one of those ones where I think we might be running out of uh, involved things to say about Golden Axe mm. because it's settled yeah. into a nice rhythm. There's some nice action. Yeah. Uh, not any particularly strong chuckles this time around. Really. Except for the obligatory two panels where the hypnotized Axe wanders <laughs> through the comic again and then out, literally tripping over the unconscious Phineas <laughs> on the way
1: while singing Old King Cole to himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did, honestly, I did laugh at the. A bit where he goes like oh no you defeated my snakes well i'll do snakes with my hands <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> right? my rainbow snakes may be no match for you but wait till you meet my
0: snake jaw hands
1: what he's doing is just what a child imagines they're doing when they make their hands be snakes yeah, right yeah <laughs> uh, there's some nice turns of phrase in this one i like yes there where, are
0: uh, they use their powers of like earth and vegetables to <laughs> earth and <laughs> plants to defeat the snakes but uh, like whenever our three main heroes have used their powers it's always just power of earth I command thee power of air I command thee but I love the turn of phrase that Yuki gets because she's goddess Flora I command you ramble a bramble around the snakes that's nice nice. I
1: like that it's a nice flow to that it is nice yeah and this being Mark Isles, who if I'm. He wrote the uh, Wonderboy comics, didn't he? He did. So he's improved because I didn't like yes. it when he said things like. What was it Wonderboy used to say? Oh, uh. uh Let power do a zap on you or whatever oh, it was no, he used no, to I say. Was always, I was always into that. What did he say? Let magic you you appear like and
0: spell me a fire spell
1: or Spell me a fire. That's right. And you, oh, yeah, you did like bit,
0: that. It's a bit, um. It's a bit, uh. <laughs> nightmare,
1: you know. Spellcasting! Oh, oh, it is. You're right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, i like it when lodged as i am in this time where the internet and its americans have come along and just made everyone in britain forget that we had our own way of saying anything i, I like it when little britishisms come in like compo well uh, com- coin up i've already brought up it wasn't actually in this comic but um mm. i like the bit where you've got the hypnotized axe battler and the caption says he never even realizes he stumbles across gilius there's something about he never even realizes that never even...
0: I, I, there's something about that. Doesn't strike me as inherently British, that one, I gotta say, Dave.
1: I feel like you would reword that for print these days. It's a bit... It's a bit... Conversational. Slangy. Yeah, that's it. Conversational. It's so... The way we actually talk. Anyway, at the end, they find Silpantia and and sure enough, we can see her pants. Um, <laughs> although... <laughs> I didn't know. regarding <laughs> our initial concerns about why she's named that it's inconclusive whether they're silver or silk it's hard to tell yeah <laughs>
0: Not really much else to say about Golden Axe this issue, no, I don't
1: think. No, it's just no, another it's episode a, of Golden yeah. Axe, isn't it?
0: Very nice art. Yep. Story continues. It's one of those, it's a, it's a part four problem, isn't it? Where you gotta get, you just gotta transition mm, from the middle act is. into the final part, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, but no, d- definitely, as a serial, this one definitely holding up much more across its six parts than, than compared to the first one, where it took us until about now before we were even into it. <laughs> yeah. compo oh and, we've got a compo That's another compo the, the big, big dipper. dipper 98 sonic toys and games to be given away in a lucky dip draw yeah you just send your name in on a postcard or a sealed down envelope <laughs> and the first 98 ones no question or anything you have to answer the first 98 ones pulled out win one prize at random now dave see if no. you can spot the deliberate mistake <gasps> okay. There are 16 Tails cuddly toys. Yeah. 16 large Sonic cuddly toys. 16 medium sized Sonic cuddly toys. And there are
1: photos of all these. There are.
0: 16 Sonic Water Wizards. 16 Sonic Pinball Games, which is to say, all the prizes that were previously available in the Spot the Difference contest a couple yeah. of issues ago, plus 16 Sonic Mountain Quests. And I feel like this is the game. Another thing you were talking about back when we were talking about that combo. Because yeah. th- this is just like a reskin version of that Kong game. Kongman, Man it was called. Yeah, where it's like screwball scramble but vertical where you have that's to the one. guide a, a metal ball bearing up a series of motorized... Yeah, because uh... of
1: the close-up you can see a lot of what uh, you actually have to do and, and we had one but I couldn't really remember until I looked at this photo. You've got a big button at the bottom mm. that's like a big space bar and you press that to just... Basically, you know, pivot everything that can pivot all the way up. Yeah, it just
0: triggers all the gimmicks all at once, yeah. Yeah,
1: so your ball, first of all, it goes up some moving stairs. Hmm. It goes across a little bridge and you have to, like, line up the sides of the bridge. It goes on a magnetic arm that drops it off somewhere else. It goes up in a balloon that it's also magnetically attached to. And a couple of other things. And the last one was always my favourite because it just goes up a blank bit of surface because there's a, there's a magnet just in the box somewhere and it's just like magic. It just goes up. Um, Magnets were magic. But have you spotted the deliberate mistake? Not yet. How closely should I peer at this, do you think? It's not a looking puzzle. Oh! <gasps> Okay, shall I smell it?
0: <laughs> no, 16 plus 16 plus 16 plus 16 plus 16 plus 16 oh. is 96. It's not 98. Oh. So, so oh, something's wrong here. What's left? Is there some detail we're missing? There must just be 18 of something, not 16. <laughs> well, that's just my pedantry. These are some great prizes that <laughs> uh, I think anybody of our age back at the time would have been very happy to get a hold of any of these. I mean. And yet, for some reason, did I send a postcard in? Did I, bother? <laughs> I know.
1: Me neither. What were we doing? You
0: didn't literally didn't have to do anything. You didn't
1: have to cut your comic up. You didn't have to deface anything. You didn't have to answer a question. You didn't have to lift a finger. Well, you did. You had to have a postcard. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was like, uh, mum can I have a postcard. All right, when I get around to it. And it never <laughs> happened Maybe. or something. But no, I don't. I will not blame my mum for this. I don't think I bothered. And no. why? Why? Who knows? Here's the
0: full page advert for Sonic the Poster Mag number 2, on sale at All Good News Agents from the 23rd of December, which is why we are assuming that the comics that were meant to come out on Saturday, the 25th, came out on the 23rd instead. You will be hearing us cover this poster mag... You will... Very soon. Cue! Cue! not too much to chat about in the queue zone again. Flintstones for the Master System, Universal Soldier for the Master System, and Silfeed for, it has a picture of a Mega Drive, but it's for the Mega CD, isn't it? Yes, it is, isn't it? Oh, and Codes for Jurassic Park for the Mega Drive as well.
1: Quite interested to see how um, they agree with me here in my comment about Silfeed when we talked about it last time which is uh, once described as the Sega version of Starwing, which, of course, is what Star Fox was called in the UK. Hmm. And, uh, and yes, it was, well, it was twice described as that, once on this podcast and once we do not know where else. <laughs> yeah. But
0: uh, I love the little descriptor that he gives after that. Was, uh, once described as the Sega version of Starwing, but now known to be nothing like it
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so he means you know in days of yore they used to think it was going to be like Star Fox, and it's not and then it, no, it wasn't apart from that it's just some cheats if you want to know how to win at universal soldier or jurassic park on the Mega drive or the flint on that system this is where to go we don't so i'm not even going to tell you the cheats if you are desperate to know them but for some reason you refuse to google them then write to at sonic podcast on twitter or stctpodcast at gmail.com
0: Tales, The Nameless Zone, Part 1, Ooh. written by Nigel Kitching, with art by Dave Windit and letters by Elitafell. Left behind by Sonic, once again, Tails soon finds himself with other things to worry about when the mystical portal to his homeland, the Nameless Zone, opens in front of him. The Zone's rulers, the Enchanter Kings, have summoned Tails because they have need of a great champion to defeat the evil warlord, Trog, and they think Tails is perfect for the job, because it turns out he's been sending letters home claiming he, not Sonic, is the hero of Mobius. This is very interesting, isn't it? it? Interesting is a good word for it, because, okay, first of all, very, very important thing we have never talked about on this podcast before, but that it is vital for context, is that at this point in our lives, Tails the Genius Mechanic did not exist. Oh yeah. No, no, this no. This was not a thing in Western media. We
1: will not find out about that until about 1999.
0: Sonic Adventure. Yeah. As far as we were concerned, and I think as far as Americans were concerned as well, because in American comics and American cartoons, Teals was very much the little brother character. Yep. In a sense that he, he really was a very young character who was the little tag-along kid for Sonic's yep. adventures in the style of any number of like Western cartoons who had a little tag-along kid character. Yeah. And the Archie comics and the Saturday AM cartoon had their own mechanic character in Rotor the Walrus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as we'll see, Porker Lewis filled the tech role for Sonic the comic. Yes. The idea of Tails the genius mechanic just fell out of thin air yeah. as far as we were concerned when Adventure came along. Well, not even Sonic Adventure, like it's sort of in Sonic mm. Adventure, but it only really, really came to the fore in Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah. To us, Tails was cast by UK media much more like a young sidekick. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the Robin to Sonic's Batman. Oh, yeah. He wasn't quite the little brother character that uh, he was played as in U.S. media. Um, a little bit of that, a little mm. bit, but he was much more like the an underappreciated sidekick than he was a tag-along kid, as he was in U.S. media. Yes. This story was kind of like Nigel Kitching pouncing on that idea of the underappreciated sidekick and essentially laying out the blueprint for most of Tails' future solo stories. He would only write some of them, and they wouldn't all be about this particular setup, but they would follow this pattern of Tails going off and trying to prove himself as a solo hero, often through some kind of hilarious misunderstanding. So, let's just say it. Uh The idea that Tails would send letters back home pretending he's the hero and Sonic's his assistant in order to big himself up to his family brilliant idea
1: yes wonderful that's great the idea that
0: tales comes from some <laughs> lord of the rings magic <laughs> and orcs and elves other dimension friggin weird one of the single weirdest ideas nigel Kitching ever had for the comic and like,
1: never particularly good i gotta be honest it's not something that he Ever really? It's like he kept it in its own little bubble of tales stories. Like, yeah, it never bled over. Yeah, when they're on Angel Island, Tales isn't going like, well, as an alien from another dimension. This is, you know what (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) Well, that's the question. That's the question. Is the Nameless Zone another dimension,
0: or is it just somewhere on Mobius that's only accessible via magic? Well, this is
1: the thing exactly because the whole of Mobius is divided up into zones, and it's a zone, and it's a zone, and we've already had the um, the hidden zone, which is like a dimension aside. So is this just another one? Is this the the Camelot zone? Is this the fantasy zone? And if so, I don't know. There's still something really interesting about the idea of Tails just being from this lineage of this world of fox people who are all fantasy-y. You say interesting, I say friggin' weird. (laughs) I'm trying to remember how I felt about it at the time. I don't remember feeling that it was that Uh, weird. You can break it down. You can understand it.
0: It's like, first of all, Sonic is world famous. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who Sonic is. So the idea that Tails would ever be able to convince uh, anybody yes. that Sonic was his assistant, you got to create some kind of displacement. Where yes. he comes from has to be somewhere that, at the very least, doesn't get news from Mobius on the reg. Though you do wonder how he's sending the letters back. <laughs> so that's the big thing, I think, that must have informed the decision to go for this other dimensional route. But then to have it be a land of fantasy and magic ruled (laughs) by enchanter kings full of goblins and orcs and trolls?
1: What? Could this be, then, that that idea either... Is Nigel thinking, I'd quite like to write a fantasy story with Orcs and Trolls. I guess I'll use Tails for that. Well, yeah, maybe. Or is this? I mean, you commented in the first few issues that the, the editorial seemed to be weirdly fixated on filling the comic up with fantasy stuff. Fantasy stuff, yeah. Is, it, has Nigel been asked to come up with an excuse to put tales in a fantasy land? because I guess they just thought that was... But I can't think of any precedent for why editorial would want there to be that much fantasy stuff at the time. It's not like yeah. this was when Lord of the Rings, the films, were coming out. Oh, God, no. At all. Like, the, the cool stuff at the time is Jurassic Park. And yeah. in fact, around now is when uh, certainly I and a few other people start to lament the fact that stuff like NeverEnding Story and that isn't coming out anymore. And it's only with Lord of the Rings a few years later that it comes back as a genre. So... Why all the fantasy in this comic? I mean, perhaps it's Nigel looking at the world of
0: Sonic yeah. and seeing that given that Sonic's adventures are so informed by like high-tech action and superheroics mm. and robots and that, and then perhaps that's the contrast he's shooting for, that if he's going to do a tale solo adventure in order to distinguish it from the futuristic high-tech superhero action of Sonic, he goes for a, a sort of you know medieval fantasy land type thing maybe it's still weird it's still <laughs> hella weird and uh, I think the further out I get from it and the more that I can divorce it from just like a childish love of Sonic and have to rationalize it with my general dislike of epic fantasy <laughs> th- I think the more I have little time for it now right because oh, we haven't even mentioned the fact like the Teals gets magic armor oh that's right yeah so like the idea is well so as we see at the end of the issue this barbarian warlord Type of character named Trog, this this pointy, scaly, monster looking dude, is here to defeat the champion of the Nameless Zone. Or they you know, haven't said it here, but I presume that you know that will allow him to conquer their zone because there's like a bridge that not unlike that bridge that linked the hidden zone and the Emerald Hill zone, if you remember back from the Hidden Zone mm-hmm. story, there's a bridge that links the Nameless Zone and stretches away off into the infinite distance, which I presume links to the wherever world Trog is from. And if he can defeat Miles Pryor, whether it is the result of magic, or some ancient ritual, or whatever. If he can defeat the champion of the Nameless Zone, he will be able to enter it and take it over. And the Enchanter Kings? Well, there's that wonderful guy who's the hero of Mobius, according to his letters. Let's get him in and give him some magic armor and make him fight the Goblin King. And what? It's easy to maybe rationalize the ideas as we have done, the mystical idea, why it's set in another dimension, stuff like that, but that doesn't make it not strange. Now, of course, STC would go to some pretty weird places in the stories that Lou Stringer in particular would tell about uh, the supporting characters. But as an introduction of the idea into Sonic's world, it's a bit head first into the deep end of the pool. Mm. Um, lovely art, though, from Dave Windett, I thought.
1: Oh, I'm, I, yes, I'm glad you thought so. I ought to declare an interest here, which is that I've hung out with Dave Windit a couple of times before I knew that he drew for Sonic. (laughs) Oh, Dave.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a a little stiff sometimes maybe, but with a real eye to uh, a very fine line, a a very Mm. neat line. A little stiff or staged maybe. Not in a bad way, but but, um, with a lot of emphasis on a fine line, very carefully placed. uh, Lacking maybe in, in, in any great kinetic energy or anything as a consequence of that but uh, but still a nice bit of work um, it, it sparks in me the kind of feeling that well Brian you're talking about how Brian Williamson's Sonic sparks in you, because when I when I would have drawn as a kid, I would have had a very heavy focus on a, a tight line with a black marker pen. Yes, of course. That I, c- I can remember looking at this back then and thinking, oh, yeah, that's that's the kind of line I like to draw. I like to be able to draw, you know? Yeah. I find that sense of welcoming in, in this art that you're talking about finding in Williamson's
1: and he's very well placed for drawing in this fantasy world. Look at how many fantasy details he's capable of putting in the yeah, background. Yeah, he does a good job. All of the bookcases full of stuff and the interesting masks on the walls and the, you know, tapestries hanging everywhere and all of this and of course the armor and all that sort of thing. And then he's randomly put a little PC in the corner of one room, <laughs> even though even though it's this fantasy kingdom. Oh, hey, there it is. Oh, hang on! Actually, did I? I've just—I think I've just noticed something. I think I've just noticed a detail. Look at Man. page two. The background there is—you've got the bookshelf, you've got the mirror, you've got the the little sword in the stone under the mirror yeah, next to the yeah. bookshelf. And then turn the page, and someone's taken the sword out. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's just happened <laughs> See that? No There's
1: that, a little slot where the sword used to be. Someone's. Taking it and yeah, taking it away. Done. A weirdly brownish tail's in the colouring Oh,
0: is it? I mean, like, he's not full-blown brown. He's, we're not talking Archie or Adventures of Sonic. Uh, no, brown, uh, no, no, but, no. But, uh, but he's much browner than your average Sonic
1: tails would be coloured.
0: But if that's my biggest complaint, I'll doing fine, you know?
1: <laughs> so I can't remember where this goes, and I'm fascinated to find out. And Because I, I am, or rather have, emerged as someone who's very fond of fantasy stuff. Um, almost to a, a really simplistic sort of idiot level, which is that I do just now and then want wizards and castles <laughs> and stuff. I do, and I think that's the you know I think that's the 1980s computer game player in me.
0: Well, the one thing I do remember is that this is only a two-part story, the Nameless Zone. Really? Yeah, this is a two-part story, but it would then be followed by another four-part tale story that continued basically directly on from it. So it was still oh, okay. a, a six-part. Tales did get a run of six issues in the comic anyway. <laughs> oh that's strange okay then but it is a weird one. I think the older I get and the more I get removed from my experience with it as a child the less time I may have for it as a concept not as a story, not as a piece of execution but just mm-hmm. as a as a base concept. it's just it's it's very non-sonicy mm. and you know, as we say maybe that was the point. Speed Ah, here we go, opening up with that letter I was talking about an issue yes. ago where um Martin, oh goodness me, that's a lot of syllables, Martin son Severino, oh, hello. from Hamelhamstead, uh writes in to complain that Sonic the Comic said that the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog started at half nine when it actually started
1: at uh, he actually woke up and had already missed it. That's a very yep. sad story. And Martin replies, <laughs> "If I had a heart, I'd feel sympathy for you." <laughs>
0: Megadroid has a little it's not like that's not supposed to be sass that is supposed <laughs> to be I'm a robot and have no heart but if I did but I love this one over here from uh, Colin Mena of Newton Arts he loves the mag has written four times wonders where his other letters are and says this time I thought I would send Megadroid two pence because he doesn't have any money yes. <laughs> because of course we have heard Megadroid complain about not being paid for his job but Megadroid <laughs> replies well it just goes to show that money does talk Although I find your generosity touching, I would like you to know that I cannot be bought. Not for two
1: pence, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this one. This is someone who, you know, is, is saying, like, I love the mag and I've, written, I've already written four times to you. I wonder where my other letters are. And then they've sent in money, and that was the tipping point. That's what got them printed, to send money in. <laughs> yeah.
0: Martin McEnemy from Glasgow wants to know when Tails is going to have a girlfriend and uh, Megadroid Mm. says, probably when Scotland win the World Cup. Or at least not until Tails starts to shave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dear STC says Terry Legg of Chippenham, Wiltshire Is Megadroid any relation to Terminator? Please answer this letter as I'm very troubled with this question. poor old Terry. Such a weird question. (laughs) It's really weird. I mean
0: it goes back to that thing in like what was it issue 3 where you were convinced he'd killed all the scientists who created (laughs) (laughs) it.
1: Well so of course Megadroid would deny it wouldn't he?
0: Well no more related to Terminator than a tin of kidney beans he says. He says I don't believe it. And uh, then we have another air quotes hilarious letter from from Dr. Robotnik where a child complains about how uh, he could have bought 28 copies of the Bino with the money he spent on Sonic the Comic so far, but then the then the P.S. Ha ha! Fooled you! Don't take any notice of what I said, because SDC is is, and even Megadroid seems to feel that the gag is wearing thin, <laughs> because again, it's like. So, whomever you are, you think that's funny? Well, try this for a laugh. You forgot to include your real name and address. <laughs> so, no yeah. water fun game for you, no, whoever water fun you are. Game for you. God, Megadroids actually got the sass cranked up to 11 on this one, hasn't He's he?
1: He's got his sass cranked this out. This
0: speed line's not any particularly great letters or questions, but it's a good delivery system for Megadroid sass, this issue.
1: It is! And also, uh, he got in a better joke there, the ever you are. I like that. Yeah, a
0: couple of pieces of art here, too.
1: Yeah, bits of fan art. There's one of the uh, sonic sitting by the fire with the an issue of sonic the comic complete with the cool spot advert on the back which is correct to the first few issues this is my favorite way of spending an afternoon he says as he lazes in front of the speckly fire with oh dear a photograph of amy rose on the mantelpiece
0: Ooh, someone's been keeping up it's not a christmas (laughs) picture but it it does have strong christmas energy
1: it does because it's a fireplace yeah it's lovely and then there's a, another drawing of just an evil tails with yeah. like you know claws and sharp teeth with you know fangs with blood yes. on them and that's claws, claws evil
0: twin of tails by uh, Ross Dennis of Streevely
1: Sutton Colfield and we we shouldn't miss out Shelley Blair of oh Carrick Fergus it, how do you pronounce that you're from Northern Ireland yeah
0: you've got it that's right Carrick Fergus you got it right ah,
1: okay uh, who drew the uh, the fireplace one do you know Shelley Blair have you ever bumped into I her? don't know Shelley Blair. <laughs> If, if you ever meet her, ask about this. I suppose get her on the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why does Evil Tales have a sort of stick? What do we think that is?
0: I always assumed, and I may be wrong. I always assumed the idea that this was a, a hole he had torn in the page with his claws. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know, right, it's, it's, maybe it's a bit meta for for Ross Dennis, but that was always my read of it. Was that this was the hole he torn in the page with his
1: claws. (laughs) Ross Dennis famously only reads things right on the surface level. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we reach the final page which is just... The It's usually the next issue blurb, but here it's just the subscribe to STC. Yeah, same thing we saw last issue. So the actual next issue solicit, as you may
0: remember, was in the control zone. So we're going to turn back to the control zone. And it invites us to blast into 1994 with Sonic the Human? What? The strangest Sonic story ever told.
1: Oh, I'm really looking forward to that one. I remember one. that
0: being a good one. That, and,
1: it, and it is the strangest. Very, very weird.
0: Tails has Trog trouble. It certainly does. Plus Echo, Golden Axe, Win Sonic Videos, Sonic the Comic number 17, on sale Saturday the 8th of January. 1994 we have to stop saying 1993
1: all the time on this podcast now i'm sad to leave it behind this has been i think 1993 is one of my favorite years of life no and i've always maintained that i remember when 2003 hit and i was like oh no i had this little crisis of like i'm 10 years away from 1993 and like this has been lovely to revisit it I've just honestly had a great time just living there. Luckily for me, 1994, also Fabi year. Bit of a
0: banger. Well, Dave, I'd say 2019 and doing this podcast with you has been one of my favourite years out
1: of the last yeah. couple. I mean, yeah. it's I, I Honestly, yeah, because, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that the last couple have been pretty dire, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've pulled it around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this has given us something to enjoy. Hasn't it been tremendous? To really honestly. make our 2019 actually quite enjoyable. I'm so glad that we started doing this. We're only
0: 16 <laughs> yeah. issues deep. There's a long way to go. It'll be another couple yeah. of months before we hit the one year anniversary, but
1: Oh, um, that'll be nice.
0: 1994 is where things would get to the next level as well. Ooh. This is when the really exciting stuff that would generally yes. be remembered as like the golden age of Sonic the comic would kick in. Like 94 yes. through 95 are remembered by like even, even casual readers who haven't thought about Sonic the comic in years. These are the years whenever the big stories, like a big run of... 40, 50 issues of interlocking stories that would really reshape the comic into what it would be remembered as even as I say even casually never mind dedicated fans who followed it well after
1: that and I, uh, I can't wait to get stuck into it yes it's gonna be great boomers we will see you in 1994 stroke 2020 yeah <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that will do it for our Christmas special, issue
0: number 16. But we are going to be taking a little bit of a break. We're going to take Christmas off, boomers. But we're not going to leave you high and dry. In two weeks' time, we're going to have a special episode for you where we look at the first two issues of Sonic the Comic, the poster magazine, which Dave and I recorded live at TF Nation this past summer. Yes. Yes, with Abby
1: as well. She's chimes in now
0: and then. Yes, Abby's also on it, yes. So that one will tide you over the holidays while we get stuck into our turkey crackers and presents, and we will see you in the new year, 2020, 1994, for issue number 17 and the beginning of a whole new ballgame. Yeah! So if you're looking for that episode, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, and if you do get us from there, please do leave a review because it does help. We're also available at stctp.wigglehe.com through which. Which you can like us on Facebook and
1: Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, if you'd like to follow the podcast on Twitter, you can. It's at Sonic Podcast. I am at Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter and Twitch and YouTube and places like that. I am at Chris McFeely on Twitter and YouTube. Our opening theme tune is synchronised by Sonic the Comic the Band. That is what they're called. We didn't make them up. They're a band and you should go to SonicTheComic.BandCamp.com to find them. But this, why this, was Sonic the Comic the Podcast. We will see you in the new year. Hey. Oh, I'm putting some jingle bells over the theme tune, Chris. Of course you are. I would expect nothing less. I'd be mad if you didn't. (laughs) Can't wait.
0: Well, I've just done a quick Google. And as you say, you stressed there that it is... uh... (coughs) One more time. I did stress that, didn't Uh, I? Yes. Uh, I stressed that it's... You did stress that. hard, Yeah, yeah. Um...